This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 24, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The Chinese currency issue roaring back to life with a vengeance, once again threatening U.S. and China relations and the global trading system. Dan Eikenson, Associate Director of the Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, says that currency revaluation for many policymakers is just a proxy for reducing the trade deficit to zero or turning it into a surplus. Eikenson's new analysis is appreciate this. Chinese currency rise will have a negligible effect on the trade deficit. There are a couple things at play here. The currency issue has been a, has been a hot-button trade issue for several years now. Uh, the Chinese currency is likely undervalued, um, but uh, Congress doesn't care about the value of the Chinese renminbi. It cares about the fact that we have a large bilateral trade deficit with China. So Congress thinks that currency adjustment is the key to getting our trade balance, uh, to, to achieving trade balance. Uh, first of all, I don't think trade balance should be an objective of policy uh, at all, particularly bilateral trade accounting. It's really a fiction in this globalized world uh, because our imports from China aren't really Chinese imp- value. They're, they're value of many countries, including the United States, because China is a final assembly point for, for production. But Congress seems adamant about this notion that uh, if the renminbi were to appreciate by, say, 25%, that we would have a major adjustment in our trade account with China. I don't see why they believe that. We, we had a period in which the renminbi appreciated uh, by 21% between July 2005 and July 2008. And during that period, our trade deficit increased from $202 billion to $268 billion. So U.S. exports increased. A little bit, but they were already on an upward trajectory. Uh, but what's, what is surprising, I think, to, to some, is that U.S. imports increased considerably. So in other words, U.S. consumers faced higher prices by virtue of the fact of a higher valued renminbi, a 21% uh, appreciation. Yet uh, Americans consumed a lot more Chinese product. So there's a couple, couple things at play here. One... Americans don't have very many substitutes for Chinese imports, so Americans are compelled to, to pay higher prices to consume them, in which case forcing appreciation is, is just thrusting a tax on Americans. Uh, it's, it's reducing our real incomes. But the other thing is that Chinese exporters probably lowered their prices in yuan uh, in order to compensate for the currency appreciation. In other words, to preserve their market share and so that American consumers wouldn't be hit with a big, big price increase, they lowered their prices. And one reason they're able to do that is because uh, Chinese exporters import most of their raw materials and components. And when the RMB, the renminbi, increases in value, it makes all of those imported inputs cheaper. So producers in China, which are mostly assemblers and some low-cost manufacturing operations um, are able to reduce their cost of production by virtue of the higher-valued currency and then lower their prices for export, which mitigate entirely the hoped-for effect of the currency appreciation, hoped for uh, from the perspective of U.S. politicians and import competing industries. I don't want to diminish the value that uh, Chinese workers add to the products, but it seems as if China becomes something of a way station for a lot of goods for which not a whole lot of value uh, is added of components that are just 
going are going from somewhere else to somewhere else and stop through China for some assembly. That's right. Look, China is at a place where it doesn't want to stay. I mean, they are uh, they produce uh, they perform low value functions on the global supply chain. A lot of assembly, low cost manufacturing. They want to move up the chain, and, and they are moving up the chain. Uh, but for right now, uh, U.S. imports from China comprise mostly of value from Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, Korea, the United States, and other countries. Uh, the typical cargo container unloaded in Long Beach, California, uh, as an import from China, is between one-third and one-half Chinese value. Half to two-thirds of the value in, in those containers is value-added from other countries. Uh, so to, to think in terms of bilateral trade accounting in such a globalized uh, world, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. That's a common thing. People worry about our trade deficit with China. They don't worry about or they don't crow about our trade surpluses with various other countries, which sort of gives lie to that notion. Could you explain that briefly? Yeah, well, I would say this. I mean, we, we lament the trade deficit with China. We lament importing iPods. Some people say it's not just uh, low-value products that we have a trade deficit with China in. Uh, we have a, a deficit with respect to high-value, high-tech products. Included in that is iPods. Well, an iPod costs about $150 to manufacture. About $4 of that $150 uh, dollar manufacturing cost is Chinese value-added. The other 146 components from Japan and the United States and, and labor in those countries and, and Korea and, and, and others. So and, another, the, and the design itself. And the design, which is actually, you know, Apple sells these things for $300, so it gets a 100% markup. Some of it's shared with retailers, but the, the point to drive home here is that uh, high-value American jobs in engineering uh, and design and marketing and logistics uh, are complementary with Chinese labor, Chinese jobs where they do the manufacturing. And without access to, to China's uh, manufacturing base, it's it low-cost uh, labor, a lot of these high-tech jobs and high-value-added jobs in the United States wouldn't exist, or they would be much more difficult to uh, support. There would be, you know, if iPods had to be all produced in the United States, if all components had to be produced here, it wouldn't cost $150 to make. It would cost 600 or $800. They wouldn't be ubiquitous. There would be no aftermarket, no market for you know the iPod uh, um, uh, holders, the jogging accessories, the, the auto accessories, and all of the jobs and industries uh, that are created uh, related to the iPod. And then it's not just the Apple iPod. It's sort of the quintessential example. Uh, it's every product that is designed in the United States but assembled in China. You know, the Blu-rays, the computers, the, uh, the, the high-tech gadgets – those industries support a lot of American jobs, uh, particularly upstream. So we need to start thinking about our relationship with China as less adversarial and more complementary. Dan Eikenson is Associate Director for the Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. His new paper, Appreciate This, Chinese Currency Rise Will Have a Negligible Effect on the Trade Deficit, is available at Cato.org. <laughs>